0: Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, president and CEO of MCFA. And today we have on the on the podcast Nivi Sharma. Nivi is a leader and an expert of technology, innovation, learning, development, access, and impact. She is currently the CEO of Bridges to Prosperity, the global leader in rural infrastructure development. Previously, C- she was the COO of BRCK, a connectivity company that provides free public Wi-Fi. In 2011, she founded eLimu, the first company to digitize the Kenyan primary school curriculum content for revision and literacy. Nivy currently serves as a non-executive director on the boards of Standard Charter Bank Kenya and Software Technologies Limited. She holds a BA in economics from Ithaca College. She is also a 2014 East Africa Acumen Fellow and a member of the Fast Forward Leaders Circle. Nivy, we are so excited to welcome you to the show.
1: I'm so excited too. Thank you for having me.
0: It's great to have you. Uh, So many different leadership experiences between Ithaca and where you are today as the CEO of Bridges to Prosperity. So tell us a little bit about your journey and and how you landed here.
1: Sure. Uh, I I think it's important to say that I am an Indian Kenyan. So my ancestors came to Kenya as indentured laborers um, by the colonizers of Kenya, which were the British at the time. To build the railways, the railways that uh, connected East Africa. And I think it's a little poetic that I'm now building bridges, but it's, um, you know, like every immigrant story, it's a story of my parents working really, really hard, always looking for opportunities, always thinking about how to bring not only food to the table, but friends into our home, how to furnish our home with um, things that make. You know children of a third culture um, enjoy the the space and culture that they 're now immersed in, so my mother was a software entrepreneur she started a she was one of the first people to start selling you know an ERP like Oracle in Kenya and in East Africa so very much a pioneer in her own right uh, i've been surrounded by technology my whole life um, Tried to rebel as a teenager and not um, and not study uh, te- technology itself, but always found myself eventually working in the tech space. Um, but always had a pull towards impact. So you know, waking up in the morning and thinking about how to sell financial financial tech services to. A bank would, you know, make me want to blow my brains out, but <laughs> trying to figure out how to get connectivity and a school computer lab set up in a remote school was always, um, you know, the days that I would spring out of, um, out of bed. So for a long time, I, you know, realized, and, you know, as you grow and learn yourself, uh, realized that, you know, making an impact, making some kind of a social impact was very important. And the impact space has been so misguided. Um, you know, they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but so you know, from small from small efforts to starting a startup called Ilimu um, that was digitizing the, the the curriculum of the the Kenyan curriculum for primary school learners. Um, it's I've always known that impact is the space that I want to be in. Whether it's education, digital access, or now just rural access, um, it's been it's been an interesting journey. And I'm and I think impact has been the thread uh, to that's kind of joined all the little missing dots in my in my career.
0: Well, let me help connect some dots because before we got on the show, you said I'm not really from the AEC space or architect, engineering, construction. Mm-hmm. And we're about inspiring people in places. And I don't think that there's anybody doing higher impact of people in places than you. For, and, and I would categorize both Wi-Fi access and bridges as mega infrastructure. And you're an economics degree. We always talk about the return on infrastructure. And that returns not just financial, but it's it's all of these reverberating impacts that come from appropriate infrastructure uh, development. Uh, so I'm I'm excited to hear some case studies or or some projects that you're involved in and how they're impacting the communities that they're serving.
1: Sure, I love that um, I love that phrase, return on on infrastructure. I think that that's um... Uh, that's, a, that's a brilliant thing that I'm going to be using in my in my impact speeches from now on.
0: The, it's um, all yours. <laughs>
1: um, so when we think about the work that Bridges to Prosperity does, it's, you know, what, what made me fall in love with it and made me fall in love with it to the point where I said, I want to leave the tech space and work on this. I want to leave the for-profit space uh, and work on this problem is that the strategy was not, um, you know, what we often find in, especially the for-profit space, it wasn't hindered by how do we get the right market share? How do we make this profitable? How do we, um, you know, do all the things that handcuff us to, uh, in, in the for-profit space? It was really, how do we solve this problem for the world? Um, here's a finite problem. It's not an, it's not like education. We'll never be done solving for education and say, all done now, The education system all over the world is perfect. Let's move on to health But this problem of rural isolation, these 1 billion people who are living in rural isolation, that's a finite number. The 250 million people out of them who who we can solve for by building a simple trail bridge, uh, not even a vehicular bridge, um, that is a finite number of people. That is a finite number of bridges that we need to build. Uh, in order to serve those people. And we know that when we do connect them, uh, when we do connect a rurally isolated community, we see improvements in health, education, income, uh, the investments and savings that that community makes, the gender equality, the civic engagement, their social and family networks, there's so much good that comes out of it. So I was, I fell in love with this idea of like a simple straight path, a simple straight bridge uh, to impact. I fell in love with being liberated um outside of the for-profit space and saying let's go solve this problem let's solve a problem for the world and let's solve it in our lifetimes Uh, not make a dent in it not start boiding the ocean here and there a little bit but let's go and solve this entire problem and that's um and that's really incredible and the strategy of the organization is um you know also uh bold audacious and you know it makes you feel like you can wrap your hands hands around this problem
0: I, I mean, you're inspiring me just talking about it and like, it, I can, I can feel the fulfillment of like a very discreet problem set and knowing how big of an impact you can have. It's, it's like taking on, you know, multiple projects. It's a program, but it's a, a very straightforward one. And how did you first learn about it?
1: I first learned about Bridges to Prosperity through, through a recruitment. A friend of mine was recruiting. They sent me um, a link that I was going to share with a friend in uh, Ivory Coast. And the organization that was doing the recruitment was focused on impact recruitment. They're called Miller Cameron. And I thought that was, you know, what a great place to start looking. Um, and someone had just said to me that week, uh, I wasn't looking for a new job, but they said, you know, it never hurts to have a coffee. Um, count yourself in for one bad coffee every week. Uh, <laughs> and so I thought, well, you know, I haven't had a bad coffee this week, so let me click through this uh, this website for a little while. And and that's how I came across it. And I thought it was an, an amazing opportunity.
0: Um, and my my two major questions for the for the podcast, and hopefully for our audience, is can you tell us a case study or a story of the impact that you've had and then i want to get into some of the leadership challenges of a nonprofit volunteer workforce all of the organization that goes on behind it so let's start with let's start with the case study of you know one of your favorite projects if if you've been in one from start to finish so far
1: sure i and I want to preface this by saying that stories are great. And I understand why, you know, stories for things like podcasts and documentaries are really important. And, you know, we always want to hear the story of a little girl called Christabel who was crossing a bridge and, you know, and I could, I, I could do that for the, for the sake of this podcast, but having listened to your podcast and understanding how sophisticated your, your listeners are, um, You know, it's not it's not a hard sell. It's not a stretch to believe that a community that a woman that has to walk two hours to get to a maternal clinic um, is an injustice in the world. And we need to solve it. Uh, A parent who needs to consider whether their kid will go to school today because it's been raining and that river looks like it's swelling. And I don't know if you're going to come back tonight. Hmm. Um, No parent should be making a decision like that. Um, No child should be traveling to school like that. So. You know, we've got the statistics on 57% of households near all our bridges. Um, They cross a bridge to reach a hospital. We know that there is a 200% increase in attendance for girls. Uh, Because when you've got a girl and a boy, you're more likely to tell that boy, well, you risk it and, you know, you'll be strong enough to come back. But you you tell that girl to stay home and miss school on a rainy day. Um, because that river is swelling and you don't know whether she'll come, she'll come back or not. We know that there is a 36% increase in labor market income. We know that 60% more women are entering the labor force um, when we put a bridge there. And, you know, the the simplicity of our intervention is not let's put a bridge there. Let's put Wi-Fi on it. Let's put a school near. Let's put a community center. No, it's just a bridge. It's just access. And often in the development space, we want to think about development in these nice little sectors of education, agriculture, healthcare, but we often forget about the access and the paths in between them. So, you know, in terms of case studies, there's a lot, but what's, well,
0: what's let's, let's, not even, let's not even go to the case study. You've convinced me we don't need to hear a story. <laughs> You've already like tugged on my heart that right. there are a billion people dealing with that problem set. Mm-hmm. What does the solution look like? What is what is the cost of a standard bridge that bridges to prosperity? Implements how long does it take? What is what does the case study look like for from a construction and engineering standpoint? And I do want to get involved. I, I do want to hear kind of your recruitment to corporations. So all of our listeners out there, get ready to to bring this pitch to your bosses. Um, but talk to us about what a project typically looks like.
1: Uh, so a project typically looks like a 10-week build, uh, about a 100-meter bridge, roughly costs $100,000. This is a trail bridge in, you know, the in a really rural, serving a rurally isolated community, getting all the materials, uh, and these are steel cable bridges, either a suspended bridge, a suspension bridge, or or a hybrid bridge, which is my my new favorite. Um, so you
0: started off saying you don't know anything about the engineering and construction <laughs> space and you you know more about bridges than than 99% of the population. So welcome to the AEC industry.
1: Have you ever gone on a really long road trip with a kid who's just learned to read and they're reading every billboard and you want to <laughs> blow your brains out? Uh, I feel like my family. I'm like, well, that's a steel truss bridge. <laughs> and this is, a, this is a suspension. And they're like, oh, just stop with the bridges already. <laughs> Um, So I feel a little bit like that right now. But um, so, yes, you know, I can tell you about the 400 bridges we've built, what it costs to build a bridge, how long it takes to build a bridge. But again, you know, if we take a step back and say, well, you know, there's 250 million people to serve. Um, We've built 400 bridges. Um, If we continue doing this, if we go about this with, you know, my private sector, tech VC scalability hat on, and I'll say, well, you know, we could scale to 100 bridges a year, 200 bridges, 1,000 bridges a year, we still will be boiling the ocean. So really, our strategy is embedded in three main pillars. One is evidence. So the kind of statistics that I have been rattling off to you on what we've seen and been measuring, we're a really data-driven organization. Uh, And now we're doing something so exciting, which I don't know if I've got the right kind of geeks in your audience, but a randomized control trial. Um, So a rigorous body of evidence to measure what is the impact um, of a random isolated community getting access to a trail bridge. So we're doing a randomized control trial um, supported by the University of Colorado. And just measuring impact. So a big, big pillar of uh, a big strategic pillar is evidence. Let's get that strong evidence to show exactly what um, solving rural isolation does for the economy of a company, for, of a country. So what the are second- the
0: categories? What are the categories that you're analyzing in that?
1: Income, healthcare, uh, education are the big ones. Okay. And you, do, and you know, the income speaks, the return on investment, um, and I'm going to change that to return on in- infrastructure. That's, right. uh, that's a big one, like that convinces the government to say, let me, let me stop and put pause on this new sexy urban project that I was going to invest in and say, what about rural? Um, for, that same, for that same dollar, I get so much more back. I put so much back into this, um, into this uh, country than I would for, for an urban project. So there's evidence, then there's advocacy. So no matter how much evidence we build, um, we need to scream and shout about it. We need to get people to be singing from the same choir sheet that we can't be building hospitals and not think about how people are getting to that hospital. We can't be building schools and not think about how children will safely access those schools. So the advocacy part is almost as important as the evidence. Um, And then we're also providing technical assistance. What do you need to build a bridge? You need the skills, you need to know how to build a bridge, the procurement methods and so on. How can we support a government, a not-for-profit? How do we support a development, any kind of development player to do that? Um, How do you get funding? How do you secure the funding? And how do you think about results-based finance and different contracting methods uh, to make this happen? So those are the three pillars of how we think that we're not gonna solve this problem just for East Africa, but for the world. you know how many organizations in Nepal will be springing up to to solve the problem of rural isolation there, um, you know, using our case studies and using our evidence and our research and saying, "Hey, um, the government should be doing this, and here is the irrefutable reasons why. And here are the tools we're going to use to convince the government um, to change their policy around rural uh, infrastructure investment.
0: I'm just sitting here taking notes. So you're, you're you're pushing me back. I'm like the student. I don't even get the interview questions now. Um, so what have you found is the hardest part of your job so far?
1: Um, there's a really great quote which I was saving for the end of the podcast, but I'll say now is the culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, so all Peter, you Drucker, know, everyone's right? got a plan. Peter Drucker, yeah. Um. Everyone's got a plan uh, until, you, until you, know, you, you bump up against the, the small little problem of human beings. Um, and so I, you, know, that, that's something that I obsess about, is like, how do we develop a culture where people are, see themselves as part of a big global solution to a global problem?) Um, Yes, we're having procurement problems right now with importing the steel we need um, to build this bridge in front of us, and we're tearing our heads out, with, uh, hair, tearing our hair out, um, about the the problem under our nose right now. But how do we keep people um, tethered to that red thread of why we're doing this uh, and plugged in on that? So you know, culture is a is a big one. Uh, I think that we 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 can't ignore enough.
0: I- my answer to that is, it's and it's the same thing that I, you know, struggle with because I think no business is um, worthwhile if it's there if there's not an impact. Right, you have to have mission and meaning in front of you, and and you have to get out of the transactional private sector mentality of you're here to trade time for money for a job or results for money. It's really you have to have buy-in. Uh, and i obsess over that and i think that the answer is consistently reminding people that what is in front of them right now is tied to this bigger bigger picture bigger result bigger 10 20 30 generational goal and i think that the 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 hard part of our job beating that drum every day Is saying it in a different voice in a different way to consistently connect with people while the rest of the world is telling them to focus on like the transactional stuff, right? Traditional marketing is consumer behavior, instant gratification. What can you do for me today? What can you do for me now? Versus being bought into the things that truly create meaning in our lives, which is impact. So I I love thinking about it. I love I obsess over it as well. So my my reaction is keep reminding them <laughs> and remind them through different platforms all the time because there's no instant gratification to big meaning big mission things right it's one step at a time um what's there's a the next right thing i th- i think it's from elsa and Anna. Uh, you know what's what's the next right thing to do and it, right. and keep tying it to that mission and i think a lot of our problems in the world are tied to people feeling disconnected from what are they doing today and how is it improving the world? I mean, if the, the definition of bureaucracy is I'm not tied to any result and right. I, become, I become inward facing and we have all this stuff inside and we're not tied to any greater mission or meaning. Um, mm. Sorry to go on the soapbox. I get very passionate about <laughs> like the, uh, like the topic. <laughs>
1: No, uh, because I mean, if we're just you know, like you say, pushing paper, trying to get through the day, um clock in and clock out, um, even even if you're not in an impact organization like b two p, where we've got it done easy. You know, it's easy to come up with a story about someone who crossed a bridge safely today. Um, yeah. it's easy to come up with that community member who was who's just completed a bridge and during the inauguration ceremony, said, "I lost my fiance." Um, she was crossing this bridge. So, you know, this is my mausoleum to her um, mm-hmm. by being a part of this construction crew. So it's, I, 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 I'm I in awe and I respect um, those leaders in private sector that don't have an outward impact focus, who can still do that for their team, who can still inspire their teams to wake up in the morning and stay up till three in the morning. Um, you know, unless unless you're on Wall Street. and <laughs> <laughs> driven by, you know, by the materialistic. Um, To me, that's true leadership of, you know, who can get their team to do that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Inspiring people in places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE verified service disabled veteran owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. What is a must-read book from your library?
1: You know, I would have said this even if you'd asked me three years ago, and I want to pick it up and read it again. It is um, The Fountainhead. Uh, which I'm sure has uh, been the answer of many of your podcast guests.
0: I don't think it has. but Really? Yeah.
1: Um, I was trying not to be cliche, but I'm like, really, that book changed a lot about how I approach books itself. Um, And I know Atlas Shrugged is not a popular option, but uh, The Fountainhead really was was something that changed my relationship with reading um, and how I allowed reading to change me um, internally.
0: I mean, Atlas Shrugged is another one that makes you think. You know, it, it changes the way you you think. So I'm I'm not, you know, I I like it. Um, dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be?
1: Uh, one for sure is my late mother, who passed away in 2020.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry.
1: Uh, oh, I wish I really have been going through a season where I feel I would take all three spots and give them to her. Is that a (laughs) cop-out?
0: No, it's, it's, uh, it's very touching. And I mean, obviously she's inspired you a lot, um, to be push pushy. What would you do with her?
1: I think I'd hang out with my daughter, who she didn't spend enough time with and Maybe I'd take her to a bridge.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You joined Bridges to Prosperity when?
1: In February. So, you know, I've just got my legs, my feet under the desk right now. (laughs) Um, So less than six months.
0: It sounds like you've been there for six years. So you're, you're doing a great job.
1: It does feel that way. And it's, you know, it's an incredible team of, you don't meet teams like this very often with a good mix of high performing and compassionate culture. Uh, I think it's it's usually why, there's usually a trade off one or the other, and this is um, such an incredible team. There is very little you can do except to to really dive in all the way.
0: That is a special blend. So I I think we need to understand how how are you continuing to to enhance that that blend of compassion and high performance.
1: I think one by. Even what you were saying earlier about um, being driven by meaning and impact, I think there's a very healthy tension nowadays in the development space um, that whether you're a not-for-profit uh, or a for-profit organization, if you want a good leader for, the, for your organization, um, we, should be, we should be putting on that table um, a healthy... And meaningful and rewarding culture, Uh, and you know, rewarding. It. I I don't. I've never understood why someone solving for the largest problems in the world, um, whether that's climate change or poverty, um, why we feel that that person should earn less because of their, you know, the goodness in their heart than someone who's selling sugary drinks or violent video games to children. Uh, That's that's always confounded me. So, kind of bringing this this modern take on what a work culture, uh, even within a development or an impact-driven organization looks like, uh, I really do wanna shake it up. I want us to use technology in really innovative ways that we don't have to send boots on the ground to do site visits at 200 different locations to see if they need a bridge, but we should be able to use um, the satellite imagery and take the machine learning from the 400 bridges we've built to say, well, actually go check out these 16 sites. Um, they're most likely to have populations around them and a impassable uh, you know, river or gorge that needs to be, um, that maybe a bridge needs to be built over. So, you know, technology and just a rejuvenated culture around what we're doing and why we should feel proud of ourselves and feel um, rewarded and recognized for our work uh, is what I hope to bring to the team.
0: You're leaving me speechless. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, there's so many different pieces to that, and and I get excited about solving big problems. So I think some of my distraction is I'm already trying to help you solve some of those problems or think through them with you, uh, because it it does seem like such a compelling mission, and I agree with you that like, as a society, we value we, we value certain things more than others. I mean, the the classic example and, and uh, like, I, I am completely aware of a supply and demand and top talented NFL players making, you know, certain money for entertainment purposes and, and Hollywood making certain money for entertainment purposes and, and the, um, the ROI around those certain products, you know, but it's because we prioritize them. Um, so it's it's a very interesting dynamic, and I wish you so much luck in shaking it up at Bridges to Prosperity. Um I I would ask you, like as we close out, what is what is it that we can do to help? Where do we find out more? Uh I know you sent a link and we're gonna share it around corporate um corporate teams joining on efforts. Give us the whole spiel, and we'll sure. make sure we link to the show notes. And where do people uh, get in touch with you?
1: Sure. One of the ways in which we help a government, like the government of Rwanda or Uganda, to build these bridges and fund these bridges is through corporate sponsorship. A bunch of um, you know players in the AEC space have sent teams out to uh, build bridges, and you know five people, ten people for ten days. Um, living in the rural area with the community and not all of them in the construction space. um, You know, some of them, even from the admin or marketing department, but spending a day reconnecting with the meaning in the AEC space. So we're super excited that, you know, through this podcast, we want to offer one spot um, to one of your listeners and they can join a corporate team and everyone who leaves uh, this this experience. And it started out with B2P saying, help us build this bridge because we don't know how. And now we know how. Our teams on the ground can build these bridges as we did through COVID um, without any kind of involvement but from the from the corporate teams coming in from the, from the West, whether that's Europe or the USA. But now we're getting, you know, we're providing a meaningful experience, an opportunity to reconnect with the industry that you've joined and you've started working for. And everyone leaves having a life-changing experience. So we're happy to welcome one person, give you one spot to a BJ Kramer listener uh, to join a corporate team 10 days in Rwanda or Uganda, um, pay for a flight out there and we will take care of everything else. You could do that by going to bridges to prosperityorg slash BJ Kramer and, uh, and tell us why we should consider you.
0: That's awesome. We, uh, I, I'm excited for that. Am I allowed to apply?
1: <laughs> you should apply. That would be that would be a great piece of advocacy for the work we do.
0: Um, that's that's unbelievable. So, could a corporation that doesn't know about Bridges to, Prosper- to Prosperity yet send an entire ten person team?
1: Absolutely. Um, and in doing that, they would um, sponsor the cost of that bridge and meet the government's contribution to to build that bridge and uh, provide that community with safe access. Wow! For, so, not for one year, but for thirty years is the the lifespan of our bridges.
0: Wow! So similar to like a Habitat for Humanity, an entire team comes out and and helps to helps to build the bridge.
1: Absolutely. So we do the work for the first. Uh, eight or nine weeks, uh, you know, lay the foundation, let the cement dry, and so on. And so the last 10 weeks is, you know, really when the the cable bridge, you know, gets across the river, the hard work gets done. Uh, and it's such a meaningful, such a meaningful experience. Um, so we, and the, the community feels so, so lucky to have, you know, People from a different part of the world come and care about them. The civil engineers on the ground feel so lucky to be working side by side, giving instructions to um, professionals who have you know, built sewage systems for the city of New York. Uh, so it's it's an incredible, it's an incredible learning opportunity that goes two ways.
0: Nivi, consider me a fan, consider me a supporter. I can't thank you enough for sharing some of your experience uh, and, and your mission at Bridges to Prosperity. Uh, I don't think this is the last time we're going to talk, but yeah, we hopefully. appreciate your time. And uh, where can people connect with you best individually? Is LinkedIn the best place?
1: LinkedIn, LinkedIn is the best place.
0: All right. So we'll make sure we link to Nivi's um, uh, LinkedIn page on the show notes. And mm-hmm. Nivi, thank you so
1: much. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope to see you out on a bridge soon.
0: Hey, everybody. If you enjoy this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com, sign up for our newsletter, and learn more about MCFA and our projects. Until next time, have a great week and a great weekend.